Some of you know that we didn't always have the Bible in written form. Oftentimes it was shared verbally in story form. And so as we go into our text this morning, I'm going to invite you to simply listen to the word of the Lord that we're going to be going into this morning from Sarah. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You may be seated. Now, there's very few times when I'm preparing to preach here on a Sunday morning that I come across a passage of scripture and it absolutely surprises me. Growing up in the church, I've heard that story and all the stories, frankly, dozens of times. And so I think I know what they're about. But I have to tell you, as I began to prepare to teach on this passage that Sarah just read for us, I was completely caught off guard. You see, I thought I knew what it was about. I thought it was just another healing story of Jesus. Not that that's insignificant, but pretty straightforward. A physical healing by Jesus. But the more I got into it, the more I realized there's so much more here than meets the eye. It reminds me, when I was a kid, I used to love those pictures that were two things at one time. Have you ever seen those? Like you have to kind of change the way you look at it. The most famous one is, of course, this one. How many of you see a young lady with her head turning to the side there? Raise your hand if you see a young lady. How many of you can see the old woman in the picture? Yeah, there's two things going on at once there. Now, I know you're going to continue to be distracted the rest of the morning, so what I'm going to do is take that down right now. And if you'd like to see that picture later, one of your friends can help you to spot uh, both of them. All I'm saying is that this story really surprised me because there's two pictures I saw coming out of it, and I'm excited to share it with you. Before we do, though, let me just remind you where we are as a church family. We're in a series called The Life of Christ, where we're looking at the Gospel of Luke. And we've said this every week. The reason we're doing this series, can we read this one more time? Or I'm sure this won't be the last time, but we're trying to get this deep in our soul here. Can we read this? It says, we want to be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. The whole goal of the Christian life is to become more and more like Jesus. So what better thing to do than study the life of Jesus in order to become like him? So we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and we're in this little section in Luke where I would describe it as Jesus is going on the offensive against our enemy. He was baptized, you remember, and then he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And then the next thing he does is he steps into his ministry full of purpose. You remember the first thing he did is he went back to his hometown, he went into the synagogue, he picked up a scroll from the prophet Isaiah, which said these words. It said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that is exactly what Jesus has been doing the last couple of weeks, and it's what he's going to continue to do for weeks to come. He is preaching the good news, and he is setting people free. 
free. He's doing what he came to do. He's fulfilling his purpose and his mission. And this week, he's going to continue that with that story we heard read with that leper. So if you would, take your Bible and let's take a deeper look at this important, impactful story. You can find this story in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And as we encourage you, each and every week, you can... Grab one of the Bibles that we provide for you in the seat underneath you or in front of you and find this story on page 719. As you're turning there, let's pray. Lord, we never want to make prayer just a habit that we do. We want to remind ourselves that prayer is power. And we pray that you will open our eyes this morning, that you will open our hearts to see what you want us to see, to hear what you want us to hear. Oh God, would we not just be hearers of the word though? Would we be doers of the word? And so if there's any step we need to take this week as a result of this message already, would you prepare our hearts to be obedient to that? To follow you no matter what the cost. So go before us now, give us eyes to see what you want us to see in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's take a look at this story. It starts this way in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Now, let's stop here because if we really want to understand the magnitude of this miracle, we need to learn a few things about leprosy. This word leprosy is used in the Bible to describe a number of different skin diseases. Most scholars think that perhaps this man suffered from what we know today as Hansen's disease. For a long time, people thought that leprosy was a rotting infection where a leper's outward extremities would begin to be infected and disfigured by the disease. But in recent years, thanks to the research of Dr. Paul Brand and others, that actually they've shown that the disfigurement that comes with leprosy comes because a leper has lost all feeling. In other words, they're no longer able to feel in their extremities. Their body's warning system of pain, therefore, no longer exists. And so with, with no feeling, imagine what it would be like to live. You wouldn't know if something was damaging you or not. You wouldn't know if you went to wash your face with scalding hot water, if it was actually scalding hot water. You wouldn't know how tightly to grip a tool. And so eventually, what could happen to us a leper is they begin to lose their fingers. And their hands would become stump-like and deformed. Now, whether that is this man's lot or not, the bottom line is Luke tells us that he's suffering from the full effects of a disease, this skin disease. In fact, being a doctor, Luke describes him as covered with leprosy. Literally, he's full of leprosy. He's in a bad state. He probably hasn't been able to feel anything for years. His body is probably mutilated from head to foot. He probably smells. He's rotting. Now I gotta tell you, that's not all that a leper faced. The physical pain isn't the only thing a leper faced. To understand the magnitude of this miracle again, I don't wanna get all depressing here, but we gotta understand the life of a leper. And we have to understand that a leper was also a social outcast. So they didn't just have this physical disease. They were also considered social outcasts. In Judaism, they were literally cut off from the community by divine decree. In Israel, the lot of a leper could be summed up this way in Leviticus 13. It says this, Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, 
Let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Can you imagine that kind of humiliation and that kind of isolation? Ostracized from society because they were afraid that someone with leprosy might contaminate them. A leper, whenever they came in range of other people, they had to kind of take on this disposition, a downward disposition, and cry out in a loud voice, unclean, unclean, how would you like it wherever you went? that you had to say those words, do you think that would eventually have some damage on your psyche? Absolutely. By the time Jesus comes on the scene, things are even worse for lepers, socially speaking. You know, some, some of the rabbis, Jewish leaders, Jewish teachers took the law and they started adding things to it. So a few things they added about lepers were, number one, if a leper even poked his head inside your house, your house was then unclean. He didn't have to touch anything, it just was unclean. It pretty soon became illegal to greet a leper. Lepers had to remain at least 150 feet away if they were upwind. Six feet if they were downwind. Josephus, who was a famous Jewish historian, summed it up this way by saying that lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men. Dead men walking. Dead men walking. All this is to say, I'm just trying to open our eyes here. The leper didn't just have a physical disease. As a result of the disease, they also became social outcasts, emotional outcasts. They were not allowed into cities. They were not allowed into towns. They were economically poor. They were completely cut off from others. No one could even touch them. Have you ever been and experienced that kind of isolation, that kind of loneliness? I'm not sure any of us in this room could say we did. I've shared with you before, when our family moved from California to Minnesota, it was a very lonely season of life for me. We were, I was bullied. And so I became, you know, very quiet, very lonely. However, that was just a season. A leper's lot was that it was a lifetime. A lifetime of loneliness and isolation. If this isn't bad enough, it was also thought that anyone who had leprosy had contracted that disease because of some great personal sin. In other words, their sin caused the leprosy. That, of course, means they were not allowed in the temple. They were not allowed into the presence of God. They were not allowed into the worshiping community. They had to stay away. Now, Jesus put this whole idea that our sin is always connected to our physical ailments in John chapter 9 when he talks about the man born blind. But I got to tell you, this idea that arose that it was because of someone's sin isn't without warrant in the Bible. In the Old Testament, we see three times where God's judgment on a person is leprosy. We see it with Miriam when she rises up against her brother Moses. We see it with Gehazi when he takes what doesn't belong to him. And we see it with Uzziah who enters into the temple and does something only the priest was allowed to do. So it's not without warrant, but Jesus comes on the scene and says there's not always this direct connection that you want to make. All this is to say, I'm not trying to depress you here. All this is to say is that the leper in this story, we have to picture it. He's not just physically broken. He's a social outcast. And he is considered spiritually dead in the eyes of the people. He is a dead man walking. 
So with this in mind, how surprising are the words of verse 12 where it says, while Jesus was in town, the leper comes to him. What's wrong with that picture? He shouldn't be in town. And yet, he knows something. I just like to picture the scene, put myself here. He's probably on the outskirts of the town. He sees that Jesus is coming. He hears that Jesus is coming. So he makes a mad dash for Jesus. The people around him don't realize even what's happening yet, right? Because they would have been disgusted and horrified. Here is this outcast infiltrating our community. He's putting us at risk of contamination. But he runs to Jesus, and read the rest of verse 12 with me on your notes there, it says, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Three things strike me about the leper here. First of all, if you're using your notes, he is fully aware of his need. It's why he would take the risk. He's fully aware of his need. It is fascinating to me, look again at that verse, that the leper does not say to Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. Isn't that what you would have thought he would have said? You can physically heal me. No, because he knows it's so much bigger than that. His need is so much bigger. He needs to be clean. Socially, physically, yes. Spiritually made clean. He is hopeless. He is an outcast in all three areas and there is nothing he can do to help himself. There is nothing in him that can make him clean. Second, he worshipfully submits his life to Jesus. Worshipfully submits his life to Jesus. It says, when he saw Jesus, what action did he take? He hits the deck. He falls to his knees Matthew's account of this story says he knelt before him. That can also be translated as he bowed down. Who do you bow down before? Only somebody you're going to worship. And then the second person in the gospel to say this word, Lord. He calls him Lord. This humble leper, fully aware of his need, fully aware of his problem, he gets down on his knees and worship before Christ and submits to him. Lord. Third, he exhibits real faith. He exhibits real faith. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He had faith that Jesus could do it. He just didn't know if he would. After all, he'd been discarded his whole life by people. Physically, socially, and spiritually. If you're willing, because not a lot of people have been, you can make me clean. How will Jesus respond? Look at verse 13. Let's read it out loud together on our notes. It says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Two Awesome, significant things happen in Jesus' response here. The first one is, did you notice what he does? He touches him. Did Jesus need to touch him? I mean, I look at that originally, I think, yeah, he needed to touch him in order to physically heal him, right? No. Could Jesus have healed him if he was 100 yards away? Yes. But he touched him. 
He touched him. Why? Think about it. It probably been about 30 years maybe since the last time this man had been touched by another human being. Maybe he was a dad at one time who could no longer embrace his kids. Maybe he was married who could no longer embrace his wife. He hadn't had the touch of another human being for years. Do you think he would have longed for a touch? We know today, thanks to research, there is power in human touch. Have you read some of this? Literally, scientifically speaking, when we touch one another appropriately, our hemoglobin levels raise, which means that our body is producing more energy, more regenerative power to heal. We also learn that human touch allows our blood pressure to lower. There's power in touch, but there's more than just physical aspect to touch, right? We know there's something deeper to it. Why is it when our kids are hurt, they always come running to us, and what they don't want is for us just to speak words, you'll be fine. What do they want? They want us to kiss the boo-boo, right? They want us to hug them. They want us to kiss them and tell them it's going to be okay. They want touch. Why? Because there's power in touch. Touch lets us know that we are loved. We're loved. Other people avoided lepers, but Christ touched him. The onlookers were shocked. The disciples were shocked. Jesus was defiling himself, and yet the leper felt loved. He felt loved. And then Jesus speaks some interesting words to him. He says, I am willing, be clean. Again, I want you to notice, he doesn't say be healed. That's part of it. Physical healing is going to be a part of it, but he actually says be clean. Why? Because Jesus is here to restore him in all three areas, social, spiritual, and physical. In the law, in the Old Testament, it was the priest's job to declare somebody clean and to determine whether or not they were fit to re-enter into society and into worship. But here, Jesus takes upon that authority upon himself. He says, all authority in heaven and earth belong to me. You're clean. You have been made clean. Again, because Luke is a doctor, he gives us this astonishing detail that right in front of everybody's eyes, this man is healed. I love how Kent Hughes describes it. He says, the healing was sudden and complete. Picture it. The man's feet, toeless, ulcerated stubs are suddenly whole, too large for his shrunken sandals. The knobs on his hands grew fingers before their very eyes. Back comes his hair, eyebrows, eyelashes. His skin becomes soft and supple. The amazement of the multitude must have been audible. Can't you picture it? <gasps> That's the power of Jesus' touch. Jesus' next words are interesting. He says two things to this man. Look at verse 14. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Two commands, right? Don't tell anybody I did this. Second, go and show yourself to the priest and do the necessary sacrifices. Let's talk about those. Why in the world would Jesus tell this man not to tell anybody about this healing? Like, is Jesus the worst politician ever or what? Like, I'd be like, yeah, like, go tell everybody. So why is Jesus oftentimes in the Gospels, you read this a lot, right? Often telling people, don't go tell anybody about this. You know why? Because he knows that our natural inclination as human beings is to make him into a vending machine Messiah. 
here to meet my needs. So he knows, like, hey, people are just going to come to me and want their needs constantly met. You can read an example of this in John chapter 6. You remember when he feeds the crowd? What do the people want to do? They want to crown him as king. Why? Because they want him to continually provide them bread whenever they want. But Jesus knows he came to be the suffering king. To give his life as a ransom for many. And so he could not let the popularity of the crowds detract him from his mission and from his purpose. We know, of course, that his command to this guy doesn't work. Look at verse 15. The news about him spread all the more. In fact, we see, I believe, in Mark's gospel that the guy just couldn't keep his mouth shut. Could you? I mean, it's like, hey, you just won the lottery, but you can't tell anybody. Like, I wouldn't be able to keep my mouth shut either. So that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Second command he gives him is a little more interesting and maybe a little more confusing to us. He says to go to the priest as a testimony to them. The reason this might be a little unfamiliar to us is because he's basically referring to Leviticus 13 and 14 right now, the regulations for a leper to be declared clean. I find it interesting, if any of you are reading the Bible in a year right now, which, which I'm doing, at least in the version I'm doing, we just read yesterday and today, Leviticus 13 and 14. I loved how that worked out. But in biblical times, in the rare deliverance of leprosy, there was an elaborate and unique joyful ceremony that took place that extended over eight full days. Let me just give you some of the highlights of it. You can read about it in Leviticus 14, but it would begin when a priest of a town would hear that a person was saying he was cleansed of leprosy or she was cleansed of leprosy. He would go outside of the town, of course, and he would verify whether or not this person was truly cleansed from leprosy. If he was cleansed, they would take two birds, they would kill one of the birds, and they would, I'm just going to tell you the truth, they would wring its neck, the blood would drip into a clay jar that was full of purified water, the blood would mix with the water, and then he would take hyssop and scarlet yarn and the dead bird, and he would dip it into this jar of the blood, and then he would sprinkle it over the leper seven times. And as he did this, he would declare the leper as clean. As a result, this blood-sprinkled person could again join the community. Sometimes we read Leviticus and we're like, what in the world is going on? What does this have to do with us, friends? Think about this. It was the blood of Christ that has made it possible for us to join the community of faith. To join the family of God. Leviticus has everything to do with us because it has everything to do with Jesus. After the bird uh, was used to sprinkle, he would be released as a symbol of this man's new freedom. Then the man was supposed to shave his body, bathe, and he could enter the camp where he and his family and friends could rejoice for seven days. Don't you like that? It was a requirement in the law that they party for seven days. Don't think God doesn't ever want us to have fun and celebrate and be joyful On the seventh day, he would once again shave and he would once again bathe so that like a newborn, he was ready to enter a new phase of existence. You might say he was born again. And on the eighth day, I won't get into all the details, but he would go to the priest and they would offer a number of different sacrifices. And this is what Jesus is talking about, confirming his healing. And then he would be anointed with oil as a symbol of a a new life, that he's going to step out in a new life, anointed to do God's work in this world. And he is declared clean. So why am I giving you all this background? Because I want us to think about why would Jesus ask this leper to go to the priest? 
We see here it's because Jesus wanted this man to be a testimony to the priest. A testimony about what? I think this is so cool. That one has come who can not only declare a person clean like a priest could, but can actually make them clean. One has come who is greater than the law. One has come who is going to fulfill Leviticus 14 for all of humanity. Then Luke ends this account with the common practice we see of Jesus throughout the Gospels. It says in verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Do you think it's an accident Luke includes this at the end of the story? I don't think so. I think what he's showing us is he often does in his gospel. A lot of times when Jesus is doing great works of ministry, Luke will include about, tell us about his practice of prayer. Why? Because it was in prayer that Jesus found his power. I could preach a whole message on this. How is it that one who knew no sin needed the power of prayer in order to fulfill his work in ministry? And here I am, often thinking, I don't need you for this one, Lord. I got this one under control, right? How much more do we need the power of prayer at work in our lives in order to do the ministry that God has called us to do? in order to fulfill our purposes. And I'm not just talking about little quick prayers. I mean, Jesus would spend nights with the Father, being strengthened for what he was called to do. Now, as we step back from this story, I believe there's really two applications for us. One of them, as I mentioned in the beginning, it kind of just took me off guard. I didn't see it at first. And the other one is pretty straightforward. I think you might know where I'm going with one of them. But let's talk about the one that kind of surprised me. You know, the more I study this story, the more I have come to this conclusion. You know what this is really about? It's about us. It is about our condition as lepers who need the cleansing touch of Jesus in our lives. If you're using your notes, it's about cleansing our leprosy. I tried to show you again and again, this story is much more than a physical healing. It is that, but it's so much more. This story is the gospel in a nutshell. This leper is a physical illustration of who every single one of us in this room is apart from the healing touch of Jesus Christ. We've all been infected with a disease. It's a disease called sin. It's not so popular to talk about this disease anymore today, but I'm going to talk about it. It's a disease that we have the moment we're born, the Bible says. David says this in Psalm 51, 5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. This is the state in which we are born. And friends, I got to tell you, sin, I don't want you to think about all the little naughty things we do, sins. I'm talking about sin, The thing that affects every one of us as human beings, it affects us physically, it affects us socially, and it affects us spiritually. There might have been a day where I didn't have to explain that in our country's society. I think I do today. How does sin affect us physically? I wonder if not, if there isn't one person in this room this morning who suffers from some sort of physical disease or ailment right now, something in your body hurting. That's the effect of this disease we know as sin. How about relationally or socially speaking? Why is there so much war and fighting and conflict and divorce? It's because of this disease 
we call sin. And spiritually, oh man, how many times are we seeing people, including myself, like I'm, I'm trying to find that thing that's going to fulfill me. But I always find myself empty. It's because of this thing called sin that affects every single one of us. If we could really see ourselves with spiritual eyes as we are apart from Christ, we would know that we are dead men and women walking. And yet we try to cover it up with filthy rags. But it's not all bad news. Thank goodness. The story of the whole Bible is that God decided to touch us. In the incarnation, which is a fancy church word of saying the incredible mystery that Jesus, who was fully God and fully human, took on our flesh. He touched our humanity in order to make us clean. He did it by offering the sacrifice of Leviticus 14 once and for all. Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We might even say cleansed. Jesus laid hold of our flesh. He became a leper. He touched us and healed us, and he could declare us clean. Our response to that news has to be exactly like the leper's. I wanted to purposely show you the three things the leper did because it's the same three things we need to do to receive the cleansing touch of Christ in our lives. Number one there, we need to come to Christ with a deep awareness of our sin. That is the first and fundamental qualification for coming to Jesus. We gotta know we are dead men and women walking. Without him, there is no hope. Have you acknowledged this? Have you acknowledged that you have the disease of sin and you have nothing in yourself to commend yourself to God? Do you mourn over that? Do you recognize the futility in all of our human efforts to try to clean ourselves up? Here's the good news. If so, you're ready. You're ready for the healing touch of Jesus on your life. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said the very first requirement of entering into the kingdom of heaven is coming to a realization that I've got nothing to offer you, Lord. He says in chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who can stand before Christ and say, I am a leper. I've got nothing in and of myself to make me clean. Jesus says, you're right there. You're right there. Then, like the leper, we fall on our knees in worshipful submission. We fall on our knees in worshipful submission. Maybe that's physically speaking, but I'm talking more about a posture of our heart, right? Where we submit our lives completely to him. We get on our knees and say the word, Lord. Be my Lord. I'm not just going to give you 25% of my life or 50% of my life. I'm going to give you 100% of my life. There's no such thing as a half-hearted Christian. And so we come recognizing our need in worshipful submission, and finally we receive the touch of Jesus by faith. 
What did the leper have to do to receive Jesus' touch? Nothing. He just knelt before him and Jesus touched him. He had faith that Jesus, by his grace, could clean him. It reminds me of our series in Ephesians, doesn't it? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the great words of the gospel. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. You just receive it. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Jesus is still in the business of healing lepers today. And when we are aware of our need, submit to him in worship, call him Lord, and receive that gift by faith, just like the leper, at that moment we are cleansed, physically, socially, spiritually. Dead men no longer, alive in Christ. Are you here this morning and you're becoming aware of your condition? Then get on your knees to the only one who can heal you, to the only one who can cleanse you and receive by faith the gift he wants to give you, the gift that is for all of us who believe. Second application of this text has to do with those of you here who have received the cleansing touch of Jesus. I'm looking at many of you, I know. You know you stand by the grace of God alone. You've received the gift through faith. So the simple question for us is now that we've been cleansed, what now? What does this text mean for us? Well, here's the question I wonder is, who are the lepers God is calling me to reach in Jesus' name? Friends, we've been talking a lot in this series about the words and the works and the way of Jesus, right? We want to look at all three of these things. And this story teaches us something pretty powerful about the way of Jesus. If you're following on your notes, the way of Jesus is to touch those deemed untouchable. Touch those society has deemed untouchable. Social outcasts, the overlooked, the lonely, the needy. As followers of Jesus, we need to be asking ourselves Who am I overlooking? Who is on the fringe of society that I need to extend Christ's touch to? By the way, this story is just the beginning of something we're going to see over and over and over and over again in the weeks to come, right? Jesus reached out and touched a number of people who the world would consider to be losers, outcasts, unimportant, and even defiled. Jesus reaches out to them and pulls them into community with him. In fact, he often makes them leaders. He breaks racial barriers. I mean, he hangs out with Gentiles. How dare this Jewish man hang out with Gentiles? Aren't we glad he did? He breaks gender barriers. He reaches out to what the Bible calls women of ill repute. He breaks political barriers. He hangs out with tax collectors. He breaks spiritual barriers. He hangs out with sinners. And the religious elite can't understand it. We're going to start seeing glimpses of it in the weeks to come, friends. Why? Because that's the way of Jesus. Jesus wasn't someone who took power and used it for himself. He's someone who gave away power. 
He's someone who became weak. He became a servant. He went to a cross. Therefore, if I've been cleansed by the touch of Jesus in my life, and God's goal for my life is to become more like Jesus, then how can I follow the way of Jesus here? We need to be willing to reach out to those who are often discarded and overlooked and forgotten. I got to tell you, I debated real long and hard uh, this week about whether I should get specific right now. Like I could raise up one specific group. For example, I think about the global refugee crisis happening right now, and I wonder, what should the church's response be to that? But the more I prayed about it, I thought it would be much more important for us to ask ourselves this question on your notes. Who are the untouchables the Lord has placed in my path? In my path. In other words, I don't want to just talk about this grand thing, global refugees, because that's not specific to my life. I mean, it can be if I sense God is calling me to do something in that area, but who are the people in your everyday life that you come across regularly that you know are marginalized? They're made an outcast. Maybe they're socially awkward. Maybe they've been cut off from community of faith. I shared my story with you, Noah, of being isolated for a little time in my life. I don't know where I'd be if it weren't for David Lang reaching out to a really awkward boy so we could become friends. And that began an incredible healing process in my life. We can have that same impact on people. We were talking about it this week as a team, and this question rose. It was, who is it easy for me to avoid? That one cuts deep. I wonder right now, are there people that the Holy Spirit of God is bringing to your heart? Are there ministries here in town that he's bringing to your mind? Are there global opportunities to extend the touch of Jesus? in the same way he extended it to you and me. What would it look like for you to do that this week and beyond? As we've often done in this series and other series, we're gonna spend some time thinking about that, praying about that, being still before the Lord and letting him search our hearts and know us and speak to us. And I would ask you to consider this question. I need to extend the same touch Jesus extended to me too. It might be an individual, might be a ministry group here in town, it might be a community somewhere, it might be, I don't know. But God wants us to hear his word and then put his word into action. So let's take some time and consider what he might have for us this morning.
if he's brought someone to your heart, if he's brought a ministry to your heart, what action step can you take this week to move towards that? Oh, Lord, in this stillness right now, I have an overwhelming sense of your holiness and your goodness. Who are we that you would take up our flesh and touch the untouchable? Who are we that receives this gift of grace by faith? We acknowledge this morning that we are lepers and we need you. We need your touch in our lives to cleanse us. We need physical, social, spiritual. We are dead men and women walking and yet many of us have been made alive in Christ and that offer is available for anyone here this morning. So we praise you. We thank you. We will never, ever lose sight of the miracle it is. And Lord, we want to do what you do. We want to be your hands and feet in this world and this community. We want to follow the way of Jesus. We want to touch the untouchable. We want to extend the same hand that you extended to us, to others who are often overlooked, marginalized, awkward. I don't know who you've brought into people's hearts, into people's minds, but I do know that we need courage. I know I do. I need boldness. I need a willing heart. I need to step outside of my apathy, to step outside of my comfortable Christianity. Just as you stepped outside the glory of heaven, Lord, help us to step out into this community to be your hands and your feet to extend to others what you've extended to us. Oh, we need your strength for that. And for that we pray. For your sake and for your name and for your glory, all God's people agreed and said, 